ברוך השם שהחיינו וקיימנו וגיענו בזמן הזה. אמן. Good to be back. Sorry, last night I was uh, in the car, jet lag a little, but we should be back to normal. Welcome back, Rabbi. Thank you. Welcome, sir. All right. So, uh, if, I, if my memory doesn't fail, we're learning Perush Rashi on the Chumash for the Refuah Shinaab Ayah Saram Bat Simcha in the Refuah. Amen. And we are in Parashat Ashavua, which is Parashat Bechukotai. And we'll start from the beginning. Good place to start. In Bechukotai Telechu, Ve'et Misfotai Tishmeru, Ba'asitem Otam. Literally, it means if you will walk in the way of my statutes. Keep my mitzvot and perform them. So we have to try to figure out what does it mean in bechokotai telechu because it cannot be referring to keeping the mitzvot because that's the next part of the pasuk bet mitzvotai tishmiru. So what is in bechokotai telechu? Rashi in a famous comment says, "Ma ani mekayem in bechokotai telechu shetiu amelin b'torah." Rashi comes and tells us that. One of the main items that all our blessings hinge on is that if we are toiling in the study of Torah. So that's very, very important to know that when we see people studying Torah and toiling in it and exerting a lot of physical energy to the brain power, to the study of Torah, That's where the blessings come from. And that's the first introduction to the blessings. Then it says, Now, Rashi explains, study the Torah. That means it's not enough to study Torah just for the knowledge of it or just for the, you know, the mental gymnastics of it. The reason why we study Torah is in order that we can know what's demanded from us. Uh, you don't study just for theory. Uh, the purpose of studying is so when you get up from the book, you could put what you just learned into practice. The learning for any other reason is not sufficient. That's what the Pasuk says. Vit mitzvotai tishmeru. Your learning should bring you to the performance of the mitzvot. Now, obviously, the learning must come first because how are you going to know what's demanded of you unless you open a book and learn? So therefore, study, and the studying should lead to practice. And what's going to happen if you do that? So Torah promises that the rain will land Uh, in the country, in Israel, in its time. Now, what does it mean in its time? So that she says, where it does not inconvenience pedestrians. And when is that? Friday night. Normally, in the olden days, Friday night, where was everybody? They were at home. And therefore, in Israel, when it rains on Friday night, you know that that's a blessing of God because there's people not in the streets. And therefore, you have Beracha. 
Not only that, the etzah sadeh, the trees of the field, will give fruit. Iten perio. As she says, trees in the field are referring to barren trees. Trees that usually don't give fruit. But when God gives beracha, even the ilanes srak, even the barren trees that are not fruit bearing, will produce fruit. Furthermore, besig lachem daish et basir, there'll be such blessing that there's a season that's called the Daish season. Daish is the threshing. That's when the wheat is fully grown and you take the wheat and you bang it on the ground in order to get the kernel and separate it from the chaff. That's the season of Daish. However, the season that she says is going to last so long that it's going to last until the next season where already the new crop is starting to sprout. We're going to be able to now take the grapes from the, uh, from the vines. Normally those are two separate seasons, but there's going to be such an abundance that the seasons are going to overlap. We're exactly going to overlap with each other that when you're involved in one avodah, uh, 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 one service, it's going to lead into the, to the next, which shows you that it's going to be constant blessing. And you will eat your bread and you will be satisfied. Now, whoever just came to the class inside can appreciate what we're going to read now. Now she says, what do you mean you will eat your bread and be satiated? You'll eat a little. You won't have to eat a lot. You'll eat a small amount. Which means when there's a blessing in the food, it doesn't mean it's a quantitative blessing. For example, let's say a person we said in the class tonight, right? A guy normally eats three slices of pizza and then he gets full. When there's a blessing, he'll eat one slice and he'll be finished. And his wife tells him, you normally eat three slices. He said, I don't know, I'm not hungry anymore. That means God can bring a qualitative biracha that even though you're having a little, you'll have uh, satiation. And then God says, part of the blessing will be, it will be peace in the land. And then she comes along and says, because without peace, you have nothing. That means you could have the best food, you could have the best drink, it could rain on Friday nights, you're getting the best everything. But if there's no peace, if you're fighting in the family and there's all strife and, uh, or, the, or there's war, so what, 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 what's the value of it? And Klumna, she says, but there's no peace, there's nothing. That's why uh, peace is of the highest uh, virtues. Which means, when you weigh all the person's blessings, you have a scale. You put money on one side. You put the prosperity on one side. You put health on the same side. And all the blessings. However, there's one blessing that outweighs all of them, as she says, and that's what? Shalom. When you have peace, so then already you can get along even without the other things. But when you don't have peace, even if a person's living very luxuriously with all the different benefits, but he has the stress of fighting and his politics and his ma'loket, and this guy's not talking to that guy, and the kids are fighting, and so on and so on. So what's the Berachah worth? So that's why God promises 
if you keep the laws and you study Torah and observe the mitzvot, I'll give you all that, but on top the cherry, which is really more than the cherry. It's the beracha of peace. And there will be no sword, physical sword, that will pass through your land. What does that mean? Not a sword of war. Because God just said there's going to be peace. So for sure there's not going to be a sword of war. But it means though, even a sword of peace, which means sometimes you have an army that wants to pass through your land to get to the other land to fight. They don't want to fight with you. They just want to pass through your land. God says, even a sword that's peaceful will not pass through your land. So that already is a beracha. And your enemies will fall in front of you. The pasuk says, Amini pasuk zayim, You will chase your enemies. Which means they will fall to the sword. Now she says a beautiful thing here. They're not going to fall by your sword. They'll fall on each other's swords. Which means there are some times that in a war, the opposing army becomes disoriented. And they start... Exactly. Friendly fire or unfriendly fire. And they start panicking. And they start killing themselves. At the time of the Beracha, you won't even have to fight your enemies. Enemies themselves will fall on their own swords. Look at this. Five of you will be able to chase a hundred. So what's the ratio? 20 to one. Exactly. Five to a hundred. It's 20 to one. And a hundred, well, a hundred should be tasting 2,000, but it doesn't say that. It says, and a hundred, they will chase 10,000. Now, how does this math work? If you, if you remember in geometry, if you're doing ratios, so if five is to a hundred, then a hundred is to 2,000. But the Torah has its own mathematical equation here. Five is to a hundred, and a hundred is to ten thousand. So that she comes along and asks this question, and he comes along and he answers, and he says the following. Let's see. I'll explain it to you. Certain things, when they rise in number, they grow exponentially. I'll give you a mashal. Let's say you have a diamond. So let's say you have a diamond that's one carat. I don't know anything about diamonds. I'm just making up a number. One carat diamond. And they tell you the jeweler, one carat diamond is a thousand bucks. So a two carat diamond is not two thousand bucks. Just because you added a carrot, it grows exponentially. Maybe a two carrot is $5,000. And three carrot jumps to 15000 which means the more quality you add, it doesn't just double in price. It goes up more. The same thing with humans. When you put five people together, it's power. Torah says five will be able to chase 
a hundred. But if you take a hundred as exponential, now already a hundred is not uh, uh, 20 times five. When you have a hundred people doing something, the energy that they give each other, it's called synergy. They have energy off each other because there's a lot of people already exponentially brings you now, you'll be able to chase 10,000. Rashi translation, this teaches that when more people are united and serving God, the more effective are the actions. You are unbelievable. And the lesson is, the lesson is that when you have uh, many people doing a mitzvah together, it exponentially changes the whole dynamic of that mitzvah. Let me explain to you. Let's say you're learning yourself. Okay, how much credit you get for yourself? Two people learning, now, Gemara says now, you don't get your own credit. You get credit for your learning and his learning. So now you're getting double credit. When you have three people, now you're getting three times. And therefore, and everybody's getting each other's credit. So therefore, if you sit now in a class with the, now that's unbelievable. Here we have a class. It's 10 o'clock at night. It says on my uh, uh, iPad here, 24 participants. That don't, don't don't get misled by that. We're one of the participants. We're five guys sitting in the room. So if each person at home, three people, you don't see the angels. There's two angels sitting next to Joey. If you have five people, let's say, at each house, so we have a hundred people listening to this class now. So that's a hundred people doing a mitzvah. So you shouldn't say, oh, well, I did a mitzvah. I got one credit. No, you're getting credit times 100. And therefore, the Rashi reminds us, whenever you have a chance to do a mitzvah with the, with the people, you should, you should try to, to do it with the people because your, your, your reward is going to be exponential based on how many people are, are present. You don't get credit for one. That means when we come to the Chumash Rashi class, you say, okay, how much reward did I get? How, how much did they pay you for learning Rashi for 15 minutes? It's the price... The going rate for paying a guy to learn that sheet for 15 minutes is 10 bucks. Okay, I'm sure I'll give you 10 bucks. No, it's 10 times 100 because 100 people listen. So then we can get a thousand bucks. And if we get more people, that, that, that's why if you were, we were smart, we would promote it. We go, who's going to benefit? We're benefiting. And that's what she says. You can't compare when a small group does the Torah when you have a great group that's doing the Torah itself. Is that like uh, Barov Am Hadrat Melech or no? Some yeah, else. Yeah. yeah, why not? Why not? The point is, Baruch whose your site was this week, used to tell us the same thing when it comes to uh, Minyan. The first person that comes to the Minyan gets credit for everybody that comes after him as well. So that's what's the biggest good to be the first guy. Because now the 100 people come after, you don't only get credit for yourself, you get credit for all the people that come. But according to this, even the 100 that told and pray together are sharing in the collective reward, and the reward is amplified because of the, the numbers. Ufani Rabbi, sorry. Um, when, the, when I once heard a rabbi say, Tarabim or Tamarabim, when they make yeah, people. That, that's the point. That's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. 
that it, it, it's not it's not one for one anymore. Again, a, a, a ten carat diamond is not ten times the price of a one carat diamond. Ten carat diamond could be a hundred times the price. Because again, the more people get added, it just starts moving up at a much higher ratio. Finally, it says, "Ufaniti alechem," and I will turn to you. You will be prosperous. I will increase you. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. Now, as she says, that I will, God says, I will turn to you. God says, as if to say, I will put all my business on the side in order to pay you a reward. Uh, of course, God is not, not, not too busy with anything, but it's as if to say, God says, my divine providence will be on you in a very profound way in order to reward you. Vifriti etchem means you will have a blessing of fertility. That's priyavribya. So that's a blessing in itself that there will be no couples struggling with fertility issues. Vibeti etchem, you have the pride. I will lift you up. God will make a new covenant with us. Uh, the, 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 the old covenant we broke, but there'll be a new covenant, and that's going to be a covenant where we have a berachah that's going to, to last. And what is all what is all dependent on? It's all dependent on one thing. We study Torah and keep them as well. There's no substitute. Everybody's looking for new ways to bring blessing down to the world. The Torah tells you what the way is. Learn Torah and keep the mitzvot. So I don't know why people just don't follow this. This, this uh, to send your kids to yeshiva. So today somebody somebody called me uh, uh, that his kid wants to go study in the yeshiva and the, the wife is going crazy. She wants him to go to college and uh, go, uh, uh, you know, become uh, uh, go go go. go. Not to come anything. Just go 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 go. I'm trying to explain to her. This is the beracha of your family. The Torah says beracha comes from this. But the people are not convinced. They're convinced that you can get beracha from synthetic areas, from other areas. And what's going to end up happening? The kid's going to go to the college, and uh, they're going to take away all his, uh, his uh, religious uh, levels that he has. Exactly. And before you know it, the guy's uh, the guy's the barren. There cannot be beracha in such a way. And therefore, again, go back to the Torah. You want beracha? Study Torah and keep the mitzvot. We learned this for the Fuashirema, Hayasara, Bat Simcha, Shirafu Fuashirema, and then give me that song. Okay, okay. We're learning for Hayasara, Bat Simcha, Fuashirema, and we are in Parashat Behokotai. It's the last parasha in the book of Vayikra, and we're in the blessings. Unfortunately, after the blessings comes the opposite of the blessings. And we still have a few more Pesukim. The Pasuk says in Perek Chavav Pasuk Yud Vachatem Yashan Nosham. So you're going to eat uh, the very old, which means that she says, Haperot Yu Mishtamirim Betubim Nityashen, that the fruits are not going to decay and that. Um, they're going to be preserved, basically. V'tovim l'tiyashen. Shei yashan hanoshan. Shel shaloshanim. Wow, that's... Uh, 
that's a big kedush. That normally fruits decay, but the fruits are going to be so, um, so so fresh. They're going to be able to eat even three-year-old fruit, which is um, which is a big kedush. And they didn't have preservatives in those days. And it says that she says that the three-year-old fruit is going to be even better than last year's fruit. That's really a blessing. So that's what it means. yashan noshan. So you're going to eat the old. And the old actually is going to be better than the new. You're going to remove the uh, new in order to make room for the old. So the pasuk says, God is saying that I will place my uh, my my shechinah, my uh, presence amongst you. That's referring to that the Beit Hamikdash will be built. And God says, I will not, I will not despise you. So now it says. That's I will walk amongst you. So that she says, Wow, that I will uh, walk with you together in Gan Eden. Again, these are all talking about the time of the uh, of the blessing. I will stroll with you in Gan Eden, and you will not be trembling from me. So that's going to be a sign of the Beracha. I am your God. It's worthy for you to trust me. Because I can do all these things. And the proof of the pudding is, I took you out of Egypt. And I did all the miracles for you. Then it says, uh, from being slaves I broke the pegs of your yoke now this is a uh, a picture time what does it mean I broke the pegs of your yoke so here, if you look at the picture, I have a picture in this book over here. Let's see if I can get it to you. Right there. So this is the yoke that they put on, let's say, an animal. So you see the two pegs on the side. So when you break the pegs, so the yoke just falls apart. So therefore, it says the yoke described by the sheet consists of a wooden bar with a hole at each end. And it rests on the back of the animal's neck. A rope goes through the hole at one end under the animal's neck and then through the hole at the other end. The wooden bar and rope thus encircles the neck of the animal. To prevent the rope from slipping, pegs are jammed into the holes. So these pegs are the motot. And therefore God says, I'm going to break literally the pegs of the, uh, of the yoke that's those little pieces of wood that are there, and then it falls apart. Okay? And then it says, And then I will I will uh, I will set you free. Now, we get to the Kedalot. 
now the Torah says, and if you don't listen to me, what does it mean you don't listen to me? You don't study Torah. And you don't uh, keep the mitzvot. The opposite of what we said in the beginning of the parasha. If you don't follow all the, the laws, so then the pasuk says, that means not only are you going not to follow the laws, but you're going to cause others not to follow the laws. That means you're going to uh, convince others not to keep the law, which is a big avera. It's one thing if a person doesn't keep the law himself, but when you convince others not to do it. Sometimes parents that don't want their children to be religious. So they come along and you know, make fun of them. What are you doing? How come you're not uh, being, uh, going here and eating this and so on? So, okay, you don't want to do it, don't do it. But why are you convincing other people you know, out of the law? So the pastor says, that brings the curses. When you cause the, the, the law to be uh, despised uh, by others, and, and you, you, you hate others that are performing the laws. So then it says, it's referring to people that hate the rabbis. The ones that make the laws. So again, these are all items that bring curses. Hating rabbis, um, hating religious people, not learning Torah, not observing mitzvot, uh, having disdain for religious people. Like the people say, ah, oh, those religious people, ah, oh, those black cats, those... Uh, it's not good. That's already curse talk. So what does it say? Pasuk says, So I will do this to you. And what is that? Not good stuff. I will assign over to you Behala, behala means panic. Panic like a fear. And shahef, uh, it means wasting away. And kadahat is going to be fever, sickness, causing eyes to pine. And uh, it says, uzra'atem larik, you're going to plant, but nothing is going to grow. Or even if it does grow, ba'achaluhu oibechem, the enemies are going to eat it. So therefore, it means uh, everything that you do is going to be uh, for a waste. Some say it won't grow. And some say even even if it does grow, the enemies are going to eat it. God says, I will put my face, an angry face, uh, towards the Jewish people. And it's an angry face, therefore, I'm going to subjugate you to your enemies. Vinastem, and you're going to uh, run. Oh, listen to this. Vinastem, you're going to flee the endro defetchem, but nobody's going to chase you. So this is what it says over. I'll tell you a story. The pasuk is telling you that part of the curses is you're going to run away, but there's nobody chasing you. Now, why would you run away if nobody's chasing? That means you're going to have so much fear and paranoia that you're going to be running in fear. So I'll tell you a story that happened uh, 
1990-1991 when I was studying in Lakewood Yeshiva. So that year, if you remember, there was the Scud War with Iraq against Israel. It was a very tense time. And everybody was nervous, even in the yeshiva. You know, the people were apprehensive. What's going to be in Israel? There was terrorism and so on. And we were sitting and learning in the yeshiva in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, we heard a hissing sound. It sounded like a bomb. It just heard like a hiss. God forbid, it sounded like a bomb was about to explode. And one of the guys in the room that I was studying in got up and screamed, bomb! And he panicked everybody. And we all ran. Now, I, I learned on the second floor in the yeshiva. So when everybody in the second floor started to run out, the guys learning downstairs heard the, the rumbling from on top. And they started to panic. Guys were jumping out of the windows and running for their lives. And people were running down Forest Avenue and Lakewood. And it was, uh, everybody was so scared. And nobody knew what they were running from, but they said, bomb, they were screaming bomb. And then about a, an hour later, after the firemen came and the police came, they realized that all it was, was a, uh, a fluorescent bulb that was going out. And the, on the way out, it was making a noise, it was just like hissing. So there was no bomb, there was no nothing. It was a light bulb. So we left. Said, okay, look at that. Everybody's so scared. We ran away from a, from a hissing light bulb. But that next day, Rabbi Matityahu Solomon may live and be well. He got up and he said, he was crying when he said it. He said, look at what happened to us. The curse of God came upon us yesterday in the yeshiva. And he said, you're going to be running away and nobody's going to be chasing you. That's exactly what happened to us. There was nobody chasing us and we were running for our lives. When that type of situation happens, so that's a, uh, that's a curse. And therefore, he, he warned us and we should make the Shuvah. That's not a good sign. In the middle of the learning, all of a sudden, everybody's running and they're running away from what? They're running away from a fluorescent light bulb? That's not dangerous. The end of the That's a manifestation the manifestation of the curse. And then the, uh, the pasuk comes along and says, if you want to just know a little about what it's saying over here, the pasuk says there's going to be behala. Now what is behala? So that she panic. What is panic? This is a plague. Now, what type of plague are we talking about? It says over here, Makat um, Motan, it's called, which is basically, uh, it's a type of plague that causes people uh, to die. So therefore, I mean, we, we went through that a couple of years ago. That was COVID. That's right. uh, People were panicking uh, every day, hearing another story. Somebody in the hospital, somebody getting sick. That... Um, now, what is Shahefet? He says, Yesh lecha Adam, there's, that's okay, there's a person, Shu that's sick, Umutal Bamita, he's bedridden. But his body is preserved, he just needs, needs to lie down. However, Kamud Roman, Shahefet means, Shehu Nishaf, 
his body starts to wear away. Or a team some people they lie in bed but they don't have fever. No, this person is gonna have fever as well. Or a team Okay, some people have fever, it'll pass. But here it's saying no, because he's gonna have fever and he's gonna know that it's a death sentence. He's gonna be waiting until until uh, till, 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 till he passes, which means the person's gonna have all the symptoms. He's gonna be in bed, gonna have fever, he's gonna be sick, his body's gonna wear away, and he's not gonna anticipate that he's gonna survive. That's the curses. And it says uh, they're gonna plant in vain. And that she says, and it's not gonna grow. So what does that mean then if the enemies are gonna eat? How can the enemies eat it if it's not going to grow? So she says, The first year is going to plant, and nothing's going to grow in the first year. is going to plant the second year. It's going to sprout, and the enemy is going to come along, and they're going to find the wheat, and they're going to eat it. Um, and as a result, there's not going to be any food, and the people are going to die of starvation. Shalom. Like two because they didn't gather any wheat, So that's one interpretation that's going to be shortages of, of wheat. Uh, the enemies are going to uh, are going to take it. And that's also part of the uh, the curses. And then it says that she's talking over here. Wow, this is something that may be happening in our time. You'll plant. But you're going to plant in vain. That's referring to uh, a reference of a person's that a person is going to toil in raising his children. And the punishment for the sin comes. After he raises his children, God's going to come and annihilate them. So that's referring to not the wheat, but it's referring to his children. That a person is going to toil to raise his kids, and then the plague is going to come, God forbid. And we're seeing that today, that today you have even the most religious families, they're raising their children, and they're giving them the proper sheep education, and the plague comes. What's the plague? Drugs or uh, gambling or uh, different types of addictions and uh, bad society. And all of a sudden, the kids are going off to derech and the parents are going crazy. After all the work that they did in investing in the kids and you know, giving them the best education that they can, and all of their uh, toil goes for nothing. So that's another interpretation of what it means. Uzra'atim, you will plant. Larik zar'achem. But it's going to be in vain. And then the uh, Pasuk says, that the epidemic is going to come inside the walls of the city. And there's going to be enemies on the outside of the city so you can't escape. So the pandemic is going to be in the city and you're not going to be able to leave the city because the enemies are going to be on the outside. Any Ma'amid Sunim Elamikem Ubachem. 
which means the enemies are going to rise from within. Now, how could that be that enemies rise from within? When the goyim are going to stand against the Jewish people, they want, um, you know, things that are in the open, things that are in reveal. They want the 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 uh, the, the, you know, the the plants and the, 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 the crops. They destroy the crops. This is when the Jews are going to be fighting with each other, they're going to uh, rise against each other. I guess when there's famine, so then people start to fight with each other, and then there's also all of a sudden unrest amongst the people themselves, and they're going to go after the treasures that they have in their homes, and it's going to be an internal internal struggle. Venastem uh, says, and they're going to run away because of fear. The end of death him, but nobody's pursuing you. And then the pasuk says, for lack of strength. What does that mean for lack of strength? Uh, the enemies will not bother pursuing you because they know that you no longer pose a threat to them for lack of strength. Uh, the enemies will know they don't even have to chase you. Because you don't even have enough strength to run away, so therefore they're just gonna—they're uh, not gonna even bother pursuing you because they know the fear is going to be upon us that we don't even have the strength to fight back. And if even at this point, Lord Shmuel, you still won't listen to the laws. I will continue. God says seven new punishments will come against the seven sins that we commit. I will break the pride of your might. And the heavens are going to be like copper, meaning metal, no no rain. And the land is going to be like uh, copper. and uh, Which basically is saying the sky is going to be uh, totally dry. Nothing nothing coming out of it, and the land is not going to have any um, moisture as well. And therefore, basically, no rain, no product. And the fields are not going to produce its yield. And the trees are not going to give uh, the fruits. So again, this is, again, well, the, the, the lesson over here is, as scary as these curses are, it's all because people are not keeping the mitzvot, and they're not keeping the Torah, and they're not learning. So the lesson, of course, is that when there's no learning and there's no spiritual uh, element in our lives, so God forbid we invite curse. And people want to know why is this happening. And all the scientists and the historians will say, yeah, it's economic, it's inflation, and no, all that is... Uh, 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 natural causes, 
But we know that the ultimate cause for all these things is spiritual. Therefore, the lesson would be that the more Torah, mitzvot, spirituality we have, the more we remove the curses uh, from us. Uh, there's a few more pesukim, but we'll continue that tomorrow. I will pick up from Chaf Aleph. These are lessons that are being studied today for our Shema of Chaya Sarabat Simcha. We should have a Shema. Amen. Learning for Chaya Sarabat Simcha for Shema in Bechukotai, and we're uh, at the end of the Kelalot. Not good stuff, but again, it's only because we don't keep the Torah and the Mitzvot why these things happen. So the Pasuk says in um, well, not fun stuff tonight, but we have to read it. Pasuk is going to be in Pasuk God is going to send the wild animals of the field and they're going to come into the city and they're going to bereave you. What does that mean? That means you're going to have wild animals that are going to come into the city and they're going to attack by biting people, uh, there's going to be snakes and different type of poisonous uh, animals. Uh, donkeys biting and different type of um, wild donkeys that are biting. Which means you have a normal donkey that's not wild. All of a sudden, when the curse comes, they're going to become uh, deadly. And not only that, but it's going to uh, to kill animals as well. Ferocious, right? Not so good, but we have to read it. Uh, and it's going to uh, kill uh, children. Sometimes the animals, they go after little, little kids. And it's going to obviously cause bereavement to the parents. And as a result, the roads are going to become desolate. People are going to be scared to go in the streets because they're going to be worried about the wild animals. If you think about it, it's a miracle that we go in the streets and there's no animals. The animals are all uh, in the wilderness. They all stay away from the city. because Hashem keeps them away. Once in a while, you see a deer or something like that, but those are docile animals. But imagine if you walk into the street, all of a sudden you see bears walking in the street, or you have you know, wild, uh, uh, ferocious animals. So, sakana, you'd be scared to, to go on the street. Then it says, And if you're not going to learn the lesson uh, from, from there, from this uh, uh, punishment, and you'll still behave in a casual way, meaning you're not going to keep the uh, mitzvot, and you're not going to make teshuvah. <clears throat> so God says, fine, I'm going to act in a casual way to you. Keri means you're not going to see my divine providence. 
וכתי אתכם, גם אני אשב על חטאותיכם, and I'm going to strike you down uh, seven fold or seven ways against your sins. וביתי עליכם חרב. Now God's going to bring a, uh, a sword. נקם ברית. This is uh, talking about, um, referring to when they blinded the king uh, of Israel. His name was Sidkiya. Uh, It's referring to a specific situation. And it says, And the people are going to just gather in their cities because it's going to be a siege. So they're going to be surrounded by the enemies with a wall. And they're going to be forced to be blockaded up in the city. And then once they're blockaded in the city, God's going to send Debir. Debir is pestilence. We're going to be delivered into the hands of our enemies that are besieging us. Um, the law is that you're not allowed to leave a dead body not buried. The law in Jerusalem is they have to bury the dead the same day. So they're going to have to send the corpses out of the city in order to bury them. And what's going to happen? The enemies are going to um, attack. So it's like a catch-22. First, it's going to be pestilence. And the pestilence is going to cause the death. And as a result, they're going to have to take the dead bodies out of the city. When they go out of the city to take the dead bodies, the enemies, enemies are going to be waiting for us and they're going to, uh, they're going to attack. So it's like one thing leads to another. Uh, then it says, Uh, this is referring to where the God will break the staff of bread. There's going to be a shortage of bread. Uh, which literally means there's not going to be enough wood for the ovens. So 10 ladies are going to have to share one oven. Normally, if there's enough wood, everybody has their own oven. But if you're conserving... So therefore, 10 ladies are going to cook their bread in one oven. The uh, the grain is going to rot, and therefore the bread is going to be, as she says, patni polit. Patni polit means it's going to be crumbly bread, and it's, it's going to fall apart in the oven. And the ladies are going to have to measure the broken pieces in order to divide it equally amongst themselves. I mean, they're not going to even have full loaves of bread. They're going to have to, you know, divide the, the bread in, uh, in, uh, in pieces, which is obviously a curse. And it's the biggest curse over here. They're going to eat and they're not going to be satisfied. And if you still don't listen to me, And you're going to act in a casual way. I will also remove my providence, divine providence, and I'll punish you again uh, another seven punishments. And uh, that is, oh, I have to explain this. It says that there's going to be such a lack of uh, food that uh, you will eat the flesh of your sons. 
ובשר בנותיכם תאכלו, and the flesh of your daughters. That means they're going to be in such a situation where they're going to, well, I don't have to repeat it, you heard it the first time. The point of Yacham Baruch Alav Shalom used to explain this pasuk in a positive way. How could you explain v'achaltem besar benechem? You will eat the flesh and the meat of your children. It sounds like literally the curse means you eat. But Baruch would say that at the end of time, the children are going to become religious, like we're seeing in our community now. And when they're going to go to their parents' house, they're going to tell them, listen, we don't eat this meat. We only eat meat from a certain butcher. And therefore, the parents are going to be forced to eat the meat of their sons, which means they're going to use the butcher, the religious butcher that, they, that their children use. Understand how we're learning it? They're going to end up having to use the kosher standards of their children, which are going to be higher than the parents. The parents yeah, my mother does that. So there you go. Your mother has to use uh, food to, to feed her, her boys, whatever, they don't eat uh, from uh, that, but you because it's not bet yourself or it's not whatever. So therefore... There's going to come a time, which is a good thing, that uh, the parents are going to have to raise their standards in order to eat the meat of their of their children. Okay, I'd rather that interpretation. And God says, I'm going to destroy your high buildings, uh, which is referring to the towers and the castles. And as we saw, when Bori Olam wants to destroy buildings, he can destroy it. We saw what happened in 9-11. World Trade Center, yeah. World Trade Center, exactly. And we saw what happened this summer. The Champlain right. Tower, Florida. And a regular building, all of a sudden, boom. It just comes down. These are all part of the curses. These things don't normally happen. <clears throat> buildings just don't collapse. We're not living in uh, India. And all of a sudden, we have, uh, in regular cities, modern cities and we see these type of items that's a sign that there's obviously a, <coughs> a curse the uh, Jews used to worship Abu Dazara they used to put like images of the sun on their roofs and they used to worship it so the Torah is coming to say that God is going to destroy those images as well which means uh, there's going to be hunger. <clears throat> and as a result of the hunger, uh, the people are going to take out their Abu Dazara from their pockets, uh, and they're going to kiss it. They're going to panic. Everybody's going to have Abu Dazara in their pocket. That's what's happening today. But he has a cell phone in their pocket today. So the Torah is already hinting to us there's going to come a time when there's going to be portable Abu Dazara. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a famine. So everybody's going to take out their Abu Dazara to pray to it and kiss it. Today, they're going to take out their cell phone to, to look at the news. And what's going to happen? Their bellies are going to burst. And then they're going to fall on the Abu Dazara. So they're, going to, they're going to die landing on their idols. God says, I will reject you. <clears throat> and I will make your cities uh, desolate. And your uh, your temple <clears throat> is going to be 
desolate as well. Now, the streets are going to be desolate. There's not going to be anybody passing through. And it's referring to the uh, the Bet HaMikdash is going to be desolate from all the throngs of people that normally would come, you know, the caravans that would normally come uh, to uh, meet in uh, Israel. Those uh, caravans are going to stop and the temple is going to be, like we said, desolate. And God says, I will stop smelling the uh, korbanot. Normally, Bore Olam gets pleasure from smelling the korbanot of Bnei Israel. That's going to stop. And then uh, the land is also going to be desolate. Now, this is a good thing for the Jewish people. Well, why is it a good thing for the Jewish people if the land of Israel becomes desolate? Because then the Goyim are not going to want to take it over. Because since it's uh, such a desolate place, it's not going to be appetizing to our enemies. So that's a blessing in disguise. If the land of Israel, you know, had, during the exile, had, um, you know, raw materials and different type of uh, products, so the green would be very eager to take it over. I once heard from one of the rabbis that it explains why in all of the Middle East there's oil, but in Israel there's no oil. Now, why is that so? And the explanation is because you think the British would have ever given back Israel to us in 1948 if there was oil? They never would have gave it up. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very rich asset. But since Israel does not have those uh, um, materials, <clears throat> so therefore it was easy for the Goyim to relinquish it and give it back to us. And God says, I'm going to separate you amongst the nations. They're going to be exiled uh, from place to place. And then it says, which literally means I'm going to empty the sword after you. That means the Yaguim are going to <coughs> chase us with the, uh, with the sword. And then it says, uh, <clears throat> the land, like we said, will remain desolate, meaning when the Jews are going to be exiled, they're not going to return so quickly. And as a result, the land is just going to remain, you know, un, uh, uncultivated. And that's what she says. That uh, it will it, it will it will seem ruined. What happens is when a person comes back after many years of exile, which means over here, um, like I said, you're not you're not going to uh, come back so quickly. Now you have to remember this is talking about in the times of the first Beit Hamikdash when the Babylonians exiled us to Bavel, and uh, for 70 years we remained uh, outside of uh, outside of Eretz Yisrael. It was a 70-year exile. Now compare that to the exile that we're in now, it's nothing. We're in an exile of 2,000 years. But this, in Parashat Bahokotai, is referring to the first exile. <clears throat> then it says that when the Jews were 
living in Israel, they did not keep the laws of Shemitah. And they were in Israel for about 350 years or a little more. And during those years, they did not keep Shemitah. And as a result, God says, I'm going to exile you one year for every Shemitah that you did not, uh, that you did not keep. So that says, then the land will be appeased because the land gets angry when the inhabitants do not fulfill the sabbatical year. So 70 years, as she says, are connected to 70 years, are corresponding to 70 years that mm-hmm. not keep the laws of Shemitah and Yemen. Uh, and then she gives us the calculation how there were exactly uh, 70 different Shemitah years that <clears throat> the Jewish people, instead of keeping the land fallow, they went to work. Incidentally, this year is a Shemitah year. Now, in Israel, thank God, I was just there. There are many righteous farmers that are not working the land this year, which is a tremendous sacrifice. They have to put a lot of trust in God that Olam will give them uh, nonetheless. But the 70 years of exile of Babel was because of the 70 Shemitah years that were not uh, fulfilled. And the Sharim Bachem, and whoever remains in Eretz Israel, Veveti Morich. Morich means fear and intimidation, fright, uh, paranoia. That's called Morich. Vegam. It says, uh, They will have just fear when they're in the lands of their enemies. And uh, they're going to be so scared that when the leaves start falling off the tree, they're going to get nervous and run for their lives. <clears throat> they're going to be paranoid from any noise, any sound. Like a person is in a house and he is, uh, you know, a noise and he jumps up. That's what it's going to be. They're going to get scared from the falling of the leaves. Like we said two nights ago, they're going to fall and nobody's going to be chasing them. <clears throat> and then it says, They're going to stumble on each other. They're going to be running so fast away from their enemies, that they're going to stumble on one another and um, they're going to be confused, now, even though nobody's going to be chasing them. And the Jews will have no uh, power to withstand uh, against our uh, enemies. The Jews are going to become lost amongst the nations. Maybe that's a, a hint that uh, when they're going to be scattered uh, they're going to be lost from one another, which could mean uh, that maybe there'll be intermarriage. That's going to take, as we see today as well. And the land of our enemies will consume you, which is happening today in America. The land is consuming the, the people. How is it consuming them? Through assimilation. And whoever remains, they're just going to be disintegrated from their sins 
בארצות אויביהם, ואף בעוונות אבותם, אם יתוודו את עוונם, and then the finally the people will make תשובה, ואת עוון אבותם, and they will confess the sins of their uh, parents, ומעלם אשר מעלו בי in all the different uh, treachery that they committed, ואף אשר הלכו עמי בקניה, because they were not vigilant in their service of God. אף אני אלך עמכם בקרי, והבאתם אותם בארץ אויביהם, and then, או אז יקנע, and maybe by then, they will have a certain uh, humbling moment, their, their um, heart that is uncircumcised, and ואז ידצו את אבונם, and then God will finally be appeased. וזכרתי את בניתי יעקב, ואף את בניתי יצחק, ואף את בניתי אברהם אסחור. God says, I will remember the covenant of the forefathers. I will remember the covenant of Yaakov, and then I will remember the covenant of Yitzhak, and then the covenant of Abraham. Now, the question on this person was, why is it backwards? Why does it put Yaakov first and Abraham last? That's Lashi's question. So Lashi uh, says that, why is it listed in reverse order? which means even Yaakov, who was the youngest of all the Avot, in his merit alone, God says, I will forgive you. And if his merit is not enough, I'll count Yitzhak. And if Yaakov and Yitzhak are not enough, I will count uh, Avraham as well, because for sure he has sufficient zikhut to protect B'nai Israel. Finally, that she says, that if you look at the word Yaakov in this pasuk, Something is very unique about the way the Torah spells Yaakov in the Pasuk Membet. Normally, the way Yaakov is spelled is Yud, Ayin, Kof, Bet. Yaakov. But if you look in this Pasuk, it's spelled with a Vav. Yaakov. Yud, Ayin, Kof, Vav, Bet. Now, she tells us something beautiful. That before Mashiach comes, Eliyahu HaNavi is going to come. And if you look throughout the Navi, <coughs> normally when we talk about Eliyahu and Navi, Elijah the prophet, it's spelled Eliyahu. Except in five places, it's spelled Eliyah. It's missing the Vav. And if you look in the Torah, there's five cases in the Torah where Yaakov is spelled with a Vav. And the rabbis tell us that Yaakov took the five Vavs from Eliyahu and is holding them until Mashiach comes. So therefore we have five Elias and five Yaakovs with a uh, Vav. So yeah, um, he took them from Eliyahu as a security, <clears throat> which is as if to say, Yaakov is telling Eliyahu, when you come and redeem my children, I'll give you your Vavs back. And a lot was said regarding these five Vavs that Yaakov took and added his name from the Vav of uh, Eliyahu. <clears throat> that means there's a, 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 a tradition that says when Mashiach comes and Eliyahu and Abi shows up, then Yaakov will release the Vavs that he took and Eliyahu will become Eliyahu. Now, why would he take five Vavs? So I heard that the letter Vav is like a finger. Like each, each finger of a person is like the letter Vav. So five Vavs makes a full hand. It's if Yaakov made a handshake with Eliyahu and Navi. 
You got the five bonds. That's like they're making a pact. I'm going to hold your name, one of the letters, and once you reveal yourself, then already um, he'll return the fobs and bring it back to Idiya and it will become uh, Idiyahu. So that's, uh, that's that. Now, the last point I want to make is it says in the Pasuk that God will remember the covenant that he made to Yaakov and the covenant of Yitzhak and he will remember the covenant of Abraham. By Yaakov, it says God will remember. Zacharti. By Abraham, it says, Zacharti, I remember. How come by Yitzhak, it doesn't say, I will remember? It just says, Yitzhak. Why doesn't it say that God will remember Yitzhak? And then she says that God doesn't need to remember it because Yitzhak is in front of him all day long. How is Yitzhak in front of God all day long? Yitzhak, that's Yitzhak? Ashes. On the Mizbeach, right. are in front of God all day long. So God doesn't have to say, I will remember Yitzhak. I don't have to remember him. I'm looking at him. I see the Esh of the Akedah. <coughs> Therefore, the Zachati is just written by uh, uh, Yaakov and by Abraham. And the land is going to be bereft from the people. And finally, it'll be appeased for all the years they didn't keep Shemitah. And they're going to be punished because of their sins. Because they despised my statutes. And they revolted against my Chokim. But now the Torah tells us that even when the Jewish people in exile will find themselves in a foreign country, God says, I will not um, I will not forget them. On the contrary, I'll remember them. I will not obliterate them. I remember the covenant that I made to the forefathers. These are the uh, different Torot that God gave us at Har Sinai. One is to consider Torah Shebechtab, and then there's a Torah Shebaalpeh, and she says all of them were given at uh, Har Sinai. So again, this ends the first theme of the Perasha, and uh, tomorrow night we're going to learn a very interesting halakha that's called the law of Erchim, when one donates a value to the Bet Nonetheless, we hope that these curses uh, are behind us, and Mikar Ulaba, we have only Berachat Rava. Again, we say the Fuash Rema, Fuhaya Sarah Batsimha. Amen. Here we are again, Thursday night, end of the week. And uh, we're learning Kotai, and we're learning for the Fuah Shirema of Haya Sarah Batsimha, in Narifanala Bitamu Israel. So we finished the Perashah uh, of the Kilalot last night, and now we move on to another subject, so well-known, but actually there's a whole Gemara called Masechet Erchin that talks about this topic. Let me give you the introduction. So in the olden days, a person would be able to uh, make a donation to the Beta Mikdash. You could say, I want to donate $152, that's it. He goes to the uh, treasurer, 
and he pays it. Almost like today, makes a donation uh, to the shul. So they send him a bill and he pays it. But there's a different type of pledge that a person can make. And that is, he can pledge his value. Now, when we say his value, we don't mean how much uh, he would fetch if he was sold, let's say, on the slave market. Everybody has a guy would be sold as a slave. <clears throat> he could be worth, uh, who knows how much person would pay. If he's young, if he's strong, if he's healthy. But we're not talking about that, that value today. The Torah set a fixed price value for every person based on gender, meaning if he's male or female, and based on his or her age. If a person says, I would like to donate my value to the Gash, or he would say it in Hebrew, uh, my value, my erich, is to the Beit HaMikdash. So then again, we have to look at the chart and see, is it a man or a woman? And then, well, today it's not so simple. But in the olden days when it was obvious who's a man and who a woman is, once you, once, once you figure that out, then already uh, you look at his age or her age, and then you have to open the Torah and you'll see exactly the fixed price that the Torah uh, determined for that person. And then he has to pay it. Or, for example, mm -hmm. that person says, I would like to pay the value of so-and-so. Not his own value, mm -hmm. but somebody else. I want to pay the value of Shimon to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? So then you have to figure out Shimon is a male. You figure out how old he is. And then you look at the Torah and see what's mm -hmm. the fixed value of a man of that uh, of that age. So now we're going to read uh, the the perasha inside the text. So it's perik chavzayin. By the ber adunayin Moshe lemor, and God speaks to Moshe. The ber of Bnei Israel speak to the people. and you should say, ish ki neder. If a person expresses himself by making a vow, the erkecha nefashot lahashem. And his vow is a uh, evaluation. So again, he's not donating his actual worth, but it's called erich, his valuation. Uh, and the Torah says, So if he's a male, and he's between the ages of 20 and 60, so his evaluation comes in at 50 shekel. So that's the case. So a guy comes along and says, I want to donate my value to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, how old are you? Oh, I'm 53 years old. 53 years old? Beautiful. So you're between the ages of 20 and 60. You're a male? Yeah. How much does he have to pay? He makes a set donation of 50 shekel. Now, the eve. However, but let's say it's a female. So the female between 20 and 60, her evaluation is 30, 30 shekalim. Okay, so the evaluation of a lady is uh, considerably less than the evaluation of a man. 
So again, uh, Rivka says, I would like to donate my erech to the Bet HaMikdash. Okay, Rivka, you're a female. How old are you? I'm uh, 38 years old. Okay, so you've been 20 and 60. So therefore you have to pay 30. Yeah, but when my husband made the same nedir, you made him pay 50. Well, he's a male. So the different, uh, different, uh, different standard. And now the Torah comes along and says, "Ve'im mi ben hamesh shanim ve'ad ben esrim shana ve'ya elkecha hazachar esrim shekal." But then the keba aser shekal. Now let's say somebody makes a vow between the ages of five and twenty. So he's between five and twenty. The male's valuation is going to be twenty shekalim. And the female's valuation is going to be 10 shekalim. Now, this is a strange case because a five-year-old cannot make a vow. So we're not talking about where the five-year-old or the six-year-old said, I want to donate my value to the Beit HaMikdash. His word doesn't mean anything. He's, he's, he's a minor. But we're talking about, let's say, another person. Let's say you have father. And he comes along and says, I would like to donate the value of my son, Shimon, to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so you go to the treasurer. And the treasurer says, how old is your son, Shimon? Well, he just had his sixth birthday. Okay, so he's six years old. Happy birthday. Well, you have to pay now 20 shekalim. Now, let's say the same father would say, I'd like to give the value of my daughter, Nifka, to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, Nifka's a girl. How old is your daughter? My daughter is eight years old. Okay, she's between five and 20. She's a female. Her price is going to be 10 shekalim. So again, it's a, it's a fixed price based on gender and based on age. Now let's say the age of the person is between one month, meaning he's an infant, uh, five years old. So then a male is going to be five shekel, and a female will be three shekel. So again, the guy says, I would like to donate the value of my son. Okay, how old is he? He's one month old. Wow, congratulations, you just had a baby. Yes, a month ago. Well, then the law is a male from one month to five years. His valuation is going to be five shekel. And if it's a female, guy says, I want to donate my value of my daughter Rivka to the Beta Mikdash. Okay, how old is your daughter Rivka? She's two months old. She's an infant. Wow. Congratulations. You have to pay three shekel. Now we get to the next case. Now let's say the person is over 16. Okay, so now we call that uh, senior, over 60. If it's a male, so the male over 60, his price is 15 shekel. Now, 
pay attention. How much was the price of a male value between 20 and 60? Between 20 and 60, we said his value is 50. 50 shekel. Once he gets over 60, he drops. He drops to 15, which is more than three times less than his price was when he was less than 60. When he was less than 60, his valuation was 50. Now already it's 15. So he really devaluated. Now what about a lady over 60? A lady over 60, her evaluation is 30 shekel. I'm sorry. Her evaluation is 10 shekel. Now, what was her evaluation when she was between 20 and 60? It was 30. 30. Very good. So she went from 30 to 10, which is exactly a third. So a lady does not devaluate as much as a man. That should make the ladies feel good. That means once a man is above 60, his price drops more than a third what it was, from 50 to 15. But a lady, she goes from 30 to 10, which is exactly a third. So the Gemara learns from over here, and that she brings it down, that a, uh, a lady's devaluation is less because she's more... Um, beneficial to the house even in her old age more than a man is there's a saying that the Talmud says if there is an old man in the house there's something broken in the house what does an old man do in the house all day long nothing just sits in the chair and complains (laughs) you know he's not so productive doesn't change any more light bulbs, can't take out the garbage, doesn't help. He probably never helped, but not helping at that point. Just a bird. However, a lady above 60 when she's in the house, the Gemara says, when you have a woman in the house, there's a treasure in the house. There's a good sign in the house. You know, the old lady... She's still in the house. She's, she's knitting. She's still cooking. She's, uh, you know, taking care of the uh, family, the grandchildren. So the lady, the Gemara, assumes that she's still more active. You know, she's making challah on Fridays, and she's uh, reading uh, Tehillim. And the man, you know, at that age already, he sits, he tries to learn, he dozes off, he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> So therefore, what happens is the Gemara is saying that a man devaluates much quicker than a lady uh, devaluates, which is a interesting, interesting phenomenon. Now, I will point out that the Rabbi Kodchida says something else: why the lady's devaluation is not so severe, uh, not so uh, steep as a man's, because Actually, uh, when a lady is above the age of 60, so usually she stops becoming impure with the Tum'ah of Nida. And if we assume that the Tum'ah of Nida is something that's, you know, uh, uh, contaminated, uh, uh, that makes her impure, so since she stops becoming impure, 
So therefore, her uh, value actually uh, doesn't uh, decrease as much. Because now, in a certain sense, she's always pure. She's always in a state of purity. But that's another reason why we have such. Now, the question can be asked, we just finished the curses. Now, what is the connection between this perasha and the curses? doesn't seem like there's any you know, obvious connection between them. So again, I saw from Rav Hida that he says, if you count the curses in uh, this perasha, and you count the curses in Parashat Kitavo. There's two parashiot that have curses in them. This Parashat and Kitavo. We read that in the summer. Now, in Kitavo, there's actually 98 curses. And in uh, Parashat Bechokotai, which is this Parashat, there is 45 curses. So, did that talk about old men? Uh, Sandra, I gave you a compliment. So, so now let's go again. Sandra, you want to close that? A second, we have. Well, so now, again, let's review. So there is uh, 98 curses in Parashat Kitavo. And there's 45 curses, unfortunately, that we read in this week's Perasha. <laughs> so altogether, there's 143 curses. 143, that's the magic number of curses in the Torah. Kuf, Mem, Gimal, 143. And if you count how much money we just talked about in the evaluations, how much coins altogether, so let's review. A man between 20 and 60 is how much? 50. And a lady between 20 and 60, we said, is 30. But So that's altogether 80. And then we said, if you have um, a man above 60, so we said his evaluation 15. of and a, a lady is 10. 10. Five. So 80 and 25 is 100 and, uh, 105. 80 and 25 is 105. And then we said, if let's say it's between uh, five years and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and 20, so we said between five and 20, we said the man is 20, shekalim, and the lady is 10. So that's 30 shekalim. So that's 105 plus 30 is 135. And then we said that if uh, it's uh, from a month old, so we said the male is five and the girl is three. That's another eight, so equals 143. So there's exactly 143 uh, coins that we discussed over here corresponding to 143 curses uh, that we mentioned in both parashiyot, as if to say that if a person gives tzedakah, mm -hmm. he can uh, undo and nullify the curses. When a person gives charity, 
which this is the story of charity, because you're really donating it to Beit HaMikdash. So these 143 coins can actually uh, push away the 143 curses that are mentioned in the uh, in the Parashiot, which is a very, very, uh, very good connection between them. It's not so obvious, but that's the number of the Parashah, 143. And now the Torah concludes and says, Ve'imachu, let's say he's a mach. What does it mean, mach? He's destitute. Destitute means he's poor. And uh, he cannot afford to give this valuation. Let's say he's a, a 45-year-old guy, but Hazit, he doesn't have any money. But he wants to make an about he wants to make a donation to the Mitzvah, but he cannot afford 50 shekel. 50 shekel is a lot of money for him. So the Torah says, he will stand in front of the Kohen, and the Kohen will make a special evaluation for him. I'll say, listen, you're really supposed to be paying 50, but you know, because you can't afford it, so we'll give you a it's it's almost like the uh, the tuition committee. Where you got to stand in front of the tuition committee, you say you can't afford the tuition, uh, but they, but, but you can afford to go to Aruba for the vacation. Necessity, I can't give up that. Yeah, but you have it made. Necessity, okay. But yeshiva education, no, that's not a necessity. So therefore, he wants a discount, even though he wants to continue living his, uh, you know, life. Exactly. So similarly over here, the guy comes in front of the kohen. He says, "Listen, I want to pay my evaluation." Right, fifty shekel. I can't afford fifty shekel. So they really vet the guy, and they see he's really an ani. He's really a poor guy. So it says the kohen will then give him his own valuation. Whatever he can afford. Now that she's that, although the kohen makes an arrangement for him, that he's got to leave him with the minimum to live. And that is a bed, a pillow, a cover, and a couple of uh, the tools of his trade. For example, if let's say the guy is a uh, a donkey driver. In the olden days, they didn't have Uber. So what did they have? <laughs> donkeys. So it was like a, he would be the taxi. You know, he, takes, he takes you on the donkey from place to place. That's his partner size, taxi driver. So the Kohen is not allowed to take his donkey as payment because you're going to put the guy out of business. So you have to leave him with the bare minimum stuff just so he could live. A bed, uh, a pillow, a comforter, and, uh, you know, his iPhone, and, uh, 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 you know, a Snapple. No, not talking about that. We're talking about the minimum items that he needs, which is uh, the tools of his trade. And again, if he's a donkey driver, so he needs his, he needs his donkey. But then outside of that, the Quinn will take, you know, some of his assets just to pay uh, for the, um, I mean, to the credit of the poor guy. He's a poor guy, and he still wants to be part of this donation. But although we can't afford it, they do make the uh, arrangement. All right, that's the... Uh, that's the story for tonight. Now you learned a quick lesson about the laws of Erechim. Uh, These classes of the of She should have and our members should have a Shabbat Shalom and Mevorach. And Bezat Hashem, next week is a big week because we're starting a new book. So congratulations, we finished by That's three books in the bank. And next week at your new volume, we'll start the book of. Uh, Pamit Bar, Shatova Muslahat.
Thank you, Thank Rabbi. You.